have mercy, oh God, have mercy. Oh, here we go. Lord, you are so good. You are so kind. And uh, ask for a lot of grace and favor for us all right now. Thank you that you create within us clean hearts. And thank you that I get to be with the family right here, right now. Uh, please open up our eyes to see, see you and your hand in creation. Ears to hear, a heart to believe. And the ability to set aside the, the distractions, please. I'm asking now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're digging into evidence of God's creative design. We can't prove God, but we certainly can prove the creative order. The Fibonacci sequence, we talked about that last Sunday, and the golden ratio, and how that we see that in all of creation, even, in fact, in the human body. Absolutely uh, fantastic. That's from last Sunday. Today, uh, we're going to dig in on, on eight more aspects of why we see the, the hand of God in science, in science. So quick question, does truth really matter? What do you guys think? Does truth matter? Yeah, you know what's hilarious about the atheist and the agnostic? They say, well, there's no truth, and my truth gets to be mine, and yours gets to be, you know, until their paycheck is wrong. All of a sudden, math is like the best science ever. And all of a sudden, it's a mo- we have more morality. How dare you shortchange me? Now morals matter and lying. All of this points to God. Truth matters. How about this? This is uh, screenshotted off of I-30, Little Rock area. What? <laughs> I-30, Little Rock. Paid for by the satanic temple of Rock. You think truth matters? What do you think of the main caption, abortion saves lives? Does that sound like a truth statement? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Truth matters. It really does. And that's why if we lose sight of God's word and we, we set our compass to whatever we think truth is pointing to on our, out of our own cortex and in our own hearts and imaginations... We're going way, way, way off the rails, Alan. Yes, that's what I was told. I didn't, I didn't screenshot it. That's what I was told. And that's why I appreciate this right here. You know? I'm just saying, we're into science at Christchurch. You've got to be careful. got to be careful. All right, children, uh, kids, you're here. Uh, try to draw another picture of creation. How would you how would you draw how would you draw DNA? Deoxyribonucleic acid. How would you draw that? That'll be interesting. Here we go. Evidence of God's work in creation. Humans and dinosaurs coexisted. That's a hard one for a lot of people to believe because we're told that the dinosaurs evolved out of some primordial soup of some sort billions of years ago and yet secular science non-Christian scientists acknowledge that there was a period where humans and dinosaurs coexisted uh, here's the second argument polystrate or strat fossils that's an odd word odd idea let's, let's get at it now remember if, you're, if you buy into the evolutionary theory of time the geological timetable you go back billions of years, all right? If a tree falls and decays, 
and lithifies, which means it turns to stone, right? Turns to stone. What geological layer on the timetable should that be on? Fixed? Like this one probably lithified 10 million years ago, right? And wouldn't that, that layer be pretty strict? There is a plethora of evidence of a fossil that is breaking through and passing through multiple layers intact. Not because of the force of a volcano or an earthquake or something like that, right? Um, uh, the problem was called hybrid sterility. Now, that's an old picture. You've got a horse. If you breed that with a donkey, it gets a mule. But what do you know about mules? They cannot reproduce. They're sterile, right? And so this is a major problem when the scriptures are clear that it's kind after kind. And what's fascinating is that there's no evidence of, uh, there, there, there's not a huge record of hybrids being, uh, being able to sexually reproduce. Uh, helium, this is an interesting uh, concept. Whenever radioactive elements decay, there are protons that are unstable and they're just going crazy at an atomic level. And during that, energy is released. Helium is released during that process, all right? If you go back millions and billions of years, there would be a tremendous amount of helium in our atmosphere, and it's, there's not. There's not. And the point is, it's another example of science pointing to a young Earth. 15, DNA and ancient bacteria. Let me read this one. This is really interesting. Uh, and I, yeah, I just appreciate this. So in 2000, in 2000, scientists claimed to have resurrected bacteria from salt crystals that were considered to be 250 million years old. This is fact. All right. They named it the Lazarus bacteria. Okay. Cool name. And uh, they were shocked. These are, these are Christian scientists. They were shocked that the bacteria's DNA was very similar to modern bacterial DNA. If the modern bacteria were the result of 250 million years of evolution, its DNA would be very, very different than the Lazarus bacteria, especially known on uh, what today's mutation rates. All I have to do is say COVID, and you guys understand how uh, bacteria and viruses replicate. By the way, Chelsea and Marlon, precious people, they, they love you. Chelsea's just been diagnosed with Delta COVID. She's at home. She is really, really struggling. So please pray for Chelsea and what she's going through right now. Just a couple more here. Uh, lack of erosion between strata. For example, on that lower level, if, if you had billions of years where that strata formed, what would that strata look like? Would they be clean, definitive lines? Not at all. What does erosion do to something? It eats it up and makes it rough and permeable. And yet we have, you, could, you can Google this, there are ridiculous amounts of clean, precise strata that if they had been decaying over billions of years, they would not look like that at all. Uh, just a couple more and we're done. A lack of Stone Age skeletons. There's actually just been a few thousand formed. But if you go back, again, billions, we would have 
literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Stone Age skeletons, and they're just not there. This guy right here, <laughs> this guy got the party started, right? Uh, Darwin. By the way, read Stephen Mayer, his, from his tremendous book, Darwin's Doubt. Uh, read Michael Behe, Darwin Devolves. Amazing uh, paleontologist, microbiologist, demonstrating how that evolution is literally just not plausible. Now, I remember as a little boy seeing this. I remember seeing it. Anybody remember this as a kid? Right. What, did you, what, what hit your brain when you saw that? What did you think? Why are there still monkeys there? Why are there still monkeys? Yeah, why do some... Exactly. Why, why do some evolve and most don't? That's where a great the, one. Where the transitional ah, Where the transitional form? Anybody else? Anybody? Why would it stop there? Why would it stop there? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, I, I, very confusing, very fascinating to me. I remember reading one of the great, uh, or one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said this. Well, the people in the, the north where it's cold have white skin and frosty blonde hair. In other words, by the way, this is totally unscientific, totally. Uh, oh, white people with blonde hair uh, kind of looks like snow. They're probably from where it's cold. And then, and then the same philosopher said, well, black people, they're from the south, and their skin gets cooked, and the, hair, the sun makes the hair kinky. So, yeah, so behold, I'm a scientist, you know. So how crazy is that? So I remember this was radically confusing to me, and I just thought, I evolved from a monkey. Now, I think it's possible that Isaiah did. I'm not sure. If you watch him around the house, he's always, he's always turning flips and, and playing and things. Um, Michael, you mentioned it a minute ago. We don't have scientific evidence of transmutational vertical forms of life. We don't. That flipper, by the way, this is, this is an illustration by an artist. There's no scientific evidence for, for what we're talking about. A flipper, in order for that thing to morph and evolve into a wing, what has to happen to the flipper or the fin? What happens to it? It becomes a bad fin. It becomes a bad flipper. What happens to the fish? It dies. A good fin can't become a bad fin and become a really bad leg or a bad wing and then somehow become a good wing. It doesn't happen. There's no evidence of that. Okay. Chris, yes, along, sir. Along those lines, I remember uh, reading that an eyeball of any species has something like, I could be completely wrong, but like a thousand different parts that all need to work yes. in order for the eye to function correctly. Yes. So you wouldn't have expected all thousand of those mutations to happen in one person and boom, you had an eye. And all of a sudden the eye works. But if yeah. you've, got, you've got one mutation, well, it does nothing. And so according yeah. to evolutionary theory, it would just go away eventually. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Everything sings and works very yes. cohesively. Yes. People die of genetic mutations all the time because stuff doesn't work perfectly. 
that's so good, Daniel. Uh, I read an article about the uh, woodpecker, the head trauma <laughs> that woodpecker would sustain in an evolutionary sense. The impact on its head and brain when it does this is so, in, the force is so incredible, it would kill itself in any kind of an evolutionary process of any kind of sort, yeah. Uh, this is a picture of my cousins, and um, <laughs> they're from Massachusetts, which explains everything right there. The Yankees, good night. So, uh, very simply stated, there's just a complete lack of evidence of vertical transmutation of life forms. It just is. So, so what do these things point to? It points to a young earth, is what it points to. And it points to the incredible power and authority of God, because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that is, that is absolutely genius. I want everyone to turn to uh, the book of Job, chapter 38, the book of Job. Uh, let me make a comment about the type of writing you're about to, to see, read, and hear. Job is a kind of poetry. It's written like a lyric. All right? Now, what is, what is fascinating about what you're going to read is that there are times in which, many, many times in which, science just can't explain the realities of life. It can't. Poetry somehow gets at it. <laughs> There's, there are lyrics to songs that will grab your heart. There are times when words set in this kind of, of writing just get at you. It's an amazing thing. This is Job's, the book of Job, and God is trying to explain to Job scientific concepts in poetry. God is talking to Job about science. And this is what God says to Job. I remember Job has been wrestling with why, why life is so hard for him. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and made the dawn know its place so that it would take hold of the ends of the earth? and the wicked would be shaken off from it. It is changed like clay under the seal, and they stand out like a garment. Their light is withheld from the wicked, and the uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea and walked in the depth of the ocean? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place that you would take it to its territory and discern the paths of its home? You know, for you were born there and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow and have you seen the storehouses of hail, which I have reserved for a time of distress, for a day of war and battle, 
Where is the way that the light is divided and the east wind scatters on the earth? Who has split open a channel for the flood and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on land without people, on a desert without a person in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the seeds of grass to sprout? Does the rain have a father? And who has fathered the drops of dew? From the womb, from whose womb has come the ice? And the frost of heaven, who has given its birth? Water becomes hard like stone, and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. Can you tie up the chains of the Pleiades and untie the cords of Orion? Can you bring out a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? How would Job know that? How in the world would Job know that? He wouldn't. This is absolutely God. Listen, God is doing science. All right. God is doing science. Can you bring out a constellation in its season and guide guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens and do you establish their rule over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover you? Job, can you make it rain on yourself? Can you send flashes of lightning so that they may go and say to you, here we are, as though lightning is giving an account to God? And who has put wisdom in the innermost being of a man or given understanding to the mind. This is the work of God. All right, I want to challenge you. And then I want to hear from you. And I want you to speak biblically about the teaching of God's word. The whole point of this, when you understand science points to a young earth, when you understand the authority of scripture, here's what you get. God is big. I mean, he's really big. He's so big, you can't get your mind around it. Isaiah 55, who has known the mind of the Lord? Isaiah says, the thoughts of God are not our thoughts. They are higher than our thoughts. We don't, you can't reduce God to a test tube or a petri dish. You can't. God is big. And when you understand the full authority and the sovereignty of God, And what he accomplished in his son. You understand. The brilliance of Hebrews 4. Hebrews 5. That when you are tempted beyond what you're able. You can run to God. And find help. In your time of need. God is for you. Not against you. But God is absolutely sovereign. And absolutely in control. So now. Everyone turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Look at this. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
poor in spirit. Anybody here, your day is so hard that you run out of personality? You're poor in spirit, you run out of personality, and you, you can't muster enough energy and emotion to make it through the day. You're at the end of yourself, and life has hit you so hard, you don't have any answers. Death of a loved one, tragedy, some of the worst case scenarios happening, and it knocks you absolutely off your feet. And you find that you are poor in spirit. You don't have enough personality to last the day, last the week. In your emptiness and in your brokenness, yours, if you're a follower of Jesus, is the kingdom of heaven. What about those who mourn? Has anybody cried so hard that the tears stop? And you can't, it's like you can't. You're mourning. The loss, the grieving is so deep. It's almost like there's no more tears to cry. You're just broken. You're just empty. And how that hurts you. The scriptures are clear. Jesus promises for that follower of his son, you will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for you will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. For many of us, we deal with the dull, dull ache of hunger and the dull ache of thirst, and we get no satisfaction. We, it's like there's something missing in our lives, and we... Happiness is just elusive. We can't get a hold of it and go, ah, I am now content. We, we don't have it. Now for these ancient followers of Jesus, these very poor Jewish peasants that he's talking to, hunger and thirst means they don't have enough to eat and it's hard to get good water. And they're struggling. But Jesus takes it even deeper than that. It's not just a matter of your belly being empty. It's something missing in your soul and you're morally broken, broken and the guilt eats you up. You're empty. And by the way, your heart is tender, so it bothers you. <laughs> there are some people that are guilty and they don't care. <laughs> they don't care at all. Their conscience, according to Paul's writing to Timothy, it's like there's scar tissue over the conscience. They don't even feel the guilt anymore. Those of us who hunger and thirst for righteousness, one day you will be satisfied. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will see God. Turn to chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? That is a profound question. Are you more important than just a sparrow and seeds or flowers? And of course the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely you are. 
So let's put this together. If you understood the comprehensive glory of God, if you understood the scientific genius of God, the creator of the heavens and earth, who can command the dawn and speak authority and morning comes, who can walk and stroll through the depths of the deep, you understand the one who has named all the stars. Do you think if he knows the number of hair in your heads and when a sparrow falls, do you think you can come to him and you can say, Almighty God of heaven and earth, I need you right now. Of course you can. That's, that's the book of Hebrews. That's Jesus. Jesus came to make God accessible. God's not hiding. God is accessible through his son, Jesus Christ. When you understand that, you can begin to live out a functioning life and a functioning faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if anyone believes that he is, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It is worth it to be a follower of Jesus Christ. All right, you're the body of Christ. Speak biblically about the authority of God's word on creation and why we need to hold on to our faith and to not believe false science and the lies of secular scientists who refuse to acknowledge so much scientific data. There's a trend. It's almost a revival-like in the scientific community. And scientists, PhDs, brilliant people realize that science points to what is called an intelligent designer. And we'll get to that next Sunday. It's brilliant. The intelligent designer from DNA right on down the line. It is all God. You're the church. Speak biblically about why we have. This is the stuff to build up our faith and not tear it down. You're the church. What would you say? Why does this matter? Scientific evidence pointing to a young earth. By the way, you've got to understand, scientifically, philosophically, if you accomplish that, what have you done to evolutionary theory? It's blown apart. It can't stand. It can't stand at all. Because according to evolutionary thought, you have to have radical, when, I say, when I'm saying radical, I mean like all capital letters, radical amounts of time. Absolutely radical. And then you have to have this component of, called randomness. Just randomly things happen. Why? Nobody knows. Right? And when you combine those two, th- two things together, they, they say there's the assertion that life is some, somehow going to get better. And things go from a state of, of simplicity to a state of complexity. What's the truth, actually? Actually, the reverse. Things go from a state of complexity to a state of simplicity. And that is the the second law of thermodynamics known as entropy. We are all in the process of decaying. From the concrete floors to the blue chairs to the wood, everything's in a process of decay. Things go from complexity to simplicity. They break down to their basic elements. Always. Always. 
important to think about the concept in that it's man's knowledge and man's understanding of the universe. And it is a gifting that God has given us to understand the world better. Yes. But it is so, so limited yes. in its knowledge and its wisdom. And you don't even have to go very far back to see what was the absolute truth of science yeah. that germs didn't exist. You had right. spirits that existed. Right. Or, and the list goes on. Yeah. And it's interesting to see men of faith be such important scientists as well. You've got the father of genetics who's a monk. Um, and I feel sad for people who cling to science as an absolute truth because it's limited. And it's easy, I think, if you delve into it to realize you won't be able to measure everything. And so you have to have There has to be, there will be, oh, there will always be. And you have to accept that there is beyond that. And that's why there's so many scientists find faith. Yes. 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 Yeah. Thank you so very, very much. Someone else on how we build our faith. We've got solid ground to stand on. We're not, this isn't about the tooth fairy, right? And the Easter bunny. That's not what this is about. This is about the stuff that helps us face life, Michael. You got it. So thank you, Michael. We have solid ground to stand on. We really, really do. So someone else building our faith, Nathan.
like some of the very early geologists were actually creationists. Okay, and um, you know, and, and also some of the archaeologists and stuff. And then about the time that Darwin started pushing the theory of evolution, there was a shift that took place, and they started saying, "Oh well, you know." Uh, uh, and like you're saying, in order for these evolutionary processes to take place, they must have happened over millions and millions of years. Therefore, uh, the conditions under which those took place had to be the same throughout that time period. So you get this big wave of both like archaeologists and geologists saying, okay, well, there was no flood, um, you know, and basically the process um, of the Earth has been a, a long, slow, gradual process of evolution and of geological change. Well, they swung so far, and you have like people like the um, the Rockefeller Foundation, who is actually funneling money into archaeology, pushing the narrative of evolution to try and, and actually trying to get them to get rid of evidence that was to the contrary, just because they wanted to fit the science to a specific. Well, then when you fast forward now, that uh, that trend is actually starting to shift the other direction. And you have stuff like um, uh, the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis and things that, from a scientific perspective, are showing that the Earth's past was not just this long, slow continuum, but it was actually uh, a lot of catastrophic changes that happened. One of those big catastrophic changes that we know is recorded in the Bible and many other traditions around the world is the, the great flood. Well, you get one minute. Flood. You get one minute. Okay. I'll give you 60 seconds. Okay. So the other thing is, if you look at like the, like the astronomy and stuff like that, you know, most of the scientists used to believe that, that matter and energy was eternal. As time went on, the, sh the trend shifted and changed to where now most of them believe, okay, there was a big bang, there was this beginning point when all energy and matter was created. Anyway, long story to say that just because all the scientists are saying something at this point in time doesn't mean it's not going to change. Yes. And the general shift seems to be yes. somewhat corroborating what. Yes, thank you, Nathan. So in principle, if you're going to do good science, question everything. Never stop questioning. Always learn. Okay, to the point. Jenny. To the point. Um, John, I understand all this stuff, and I think some of us do need to see through. You know, sure, sure. We love evidence. Bills are paid. Yeah. 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 And yep, that yep. comes in time. But yep. I, in John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you now believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Wow, the gift of faith. That's so good, Jake. When someone starts to question the science, I think the only point to really give them is the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Yeah. Whatever you study, you change. Nothing is ever solved. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, Stephen? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Matthew 9, uh, 36. Seeing the crowds. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast 
like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. At the end of the day, we are all distressed and downcast. Yes. And we are sheep without a shepherd. Um, and we need a shepherd. And regardless, like science or anything is not going, cannot measure joy, cannot measure happiness, cannot measure the things that truly make us human. And at the end of the day, we, we need someone to shepherd us and that we can follow and that can empathize with us and sympathize. And that is Jesus who came and bodily and can do that. No other religion has done that. Yes. It's all, all other religions, belief systems, how you, how you act and what you accomplish versus Christianity is what Jesus accomplished. And so no matter where you fall on the science spectrum, that doesn't change your humanity and the fact that you need a Savior and you need somebody. And so um, I would just encourage you that if you are in that spot, no matter how confusing or clear even scientific things may be, pray that you would turn to a Savior and that you would turn to Jesus. Absolutely. Um, Gabe? Uh, the Lord's part of this that speaks up to me is accepting it. Acceptance takes a lot of part of it. You know, science. Yes, or, yes, yes. And, yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right. Did you know there's a story of a Ph.D. coming to Jesus in the Bible? Pray tell. Turn to John three. Yeah, Paul, two. You're right. Paul, two. John three. The equivalent of a Ph.D. was embodied in this, this guy named Nicodemus. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus responded and said, Truly I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot say the kingdom of God. You know what's brilliant about that? Jesus did not engage in theology with Nicodemus. He didn't say, oh, okay, sure, Nick. Um, are you with the school of Hillel or the school of Gamaliel? And, and all, what school do you belong to? Oh, really? Are you conservative or liberal? You want to talk about it? He bypassed all the garbage, all the man-made religious stuff, and all the confusion, Stephen, of the day, and said, look, truly, truly, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you will not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, with a PhD, is still confused. <laughs> and he goes, how can a person be born when he's old? He can't enter his mother's womb a second time and pop out again, can he? Jesus answers that question and gets right to the truth. Truly, truly, amen, amen. In, in, in Greek here, Hebrew, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. There's two births. There's the water birth, the flesh birth. Aaron's about to give birth. Sabrina's about to give birth. There's your water birth. That's the flesh birth. But there must be a birth of the spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? 
And Jesus says in so many words, you've got a PhD and you can't figure this out. You're a teacher of Israel, the teacher. You're like the leading scholar. And yet you don't understand these things. Truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. And you people do not accept, Gabe, do not accept our testimony. That's Jesus and the disciples. If I tell you about earthly things and you do not believe, would you believe if I told you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses was lifted up in the and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, that everyone that believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen. We can be the finest PhDs, paleontologists, archaeologists, biochemists, astrophysicists, and go right on down the line and miss God. You, how, how do you, God's big. How do you miss him? <laughs> if he's that big, if you create the heavens and the earth, you can have the finest training. I can quote from 1 Corinthians 13. You can speak all languages of humans, including angels, and you can perform all miracles, and you can be so kind you'll give your body up for burning. You can be superhuman and miss God. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. And by faith in Jesus Christ, John 14, 6, one of the guy's disciples says, show us the Father, and he says, Philip, I've been with you this long. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. If you have never been born again, I want you to understand it is by faith. It is something that God accomplishes in you. You don't earn it. It is purely by faith. And you've got to trust him just like you're trusting him with your weight on that chair. God can handle the weight of your soul. God can handle your dysfunctional history. God can handle the sins and the mistakes you've made that nobody knows anything about. Your sin is not going to scare God away. He named the heavens. He knows you. You have got to put your faith in him and be born again. And the prayer you pray, somehow it's something like this. It's not a magic formula. It's something about God. I see me for who I am and I am a wreck. I'm a sinner and I'm hell bound and I get who you are and I'm asking you to forgive me and I'm asking you to place your son inside my heart and make me new and heal me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave as payment for my sin. I believe that and I receive it and I ask in Jesus name that you would save me. And God says, it's a promise, John 10, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, Freddie will not be ashamed and you'll be born again, and then you need to be baptized. If you're doing that now in this heart or during the worship, when we sing, I want you to see me uh, before you leave this place, okay? We have got to believe and lay hold of the gospel and got to believe and lay hold of Scripture as the authoritative word of God and the instruction manual for all of life. Stephen, this is where we find the words of the Good Shepherd. 
and our guidance so we can handle the adult world and the horrific pain that we face on that level. Let me pray over you, God. I thank you for the grace that you've given, love that goes beyond anything that I can imagine. Uh, I pray anybody here that's not born again will know you. They'll believe the good news that Jesus died for them and they will place their faith in your son. Without that, they will not see your kingdom. And I beg your favor and grace on us all now, please. In Jesus' name, amen.